guys. This is the first episode of Today I Learned Disney, a podcast where my co-host Jess and I try to surprise each other and you with something you might not know about Disney. So Jess and I both live in Southern California, and we both have had an interest in the Walt Disney Company for a very long time. And we recently realized that we've consumed an embarrassing amount of Disney information, either by reading or watching YouTube videos through other podcasts or visiting the parks way too often, and we wanted to put some of that knowledge to good use. So we're bringing forward in a very short amount of time each week, hopefully short enough for your commute, uh, the most interesting things we've learned and experienced that we think are also relevant to some things going on at Disney today. So today I'm going to start out and I'm going to try to surprise Jess with a fact that I think she might know, but I don't know if she knows uh, Mm. the whole story. So today I learned uh, that Fantasia was the very first film to ever be shown in stereo sound or stereophonic sound. So the multi-speaker sound system that was used uh, was actually created by Imagineers and RCA, and they called it Fantasound because far be it for any word that has to do with Disney to not have the word fantasy in it. Did you know that? Did you know that? I had no okay. idea. Okay, so I when I found that out, I thought that was pretty cool as well. Because yeah. Disney essentially, they didn't invent stereo sound, but they brought it to theaters for the first time with Fantasia. Um, but the whole story behind it is pretty fun too because it was incredibly expensive (laughs) and it almost drove Disney to financial ruin. Uh, But he still did it because he wanted to try out something new and cool. So anyway, I found this cool article from The New Yorker uh, in 1940 that I'm just going to read from Hmm. and and we'll uh, put a link to that for you guys in our show notes as well. So it starts out, it says, talk story about the new sound effects in Walt Disney's latest film, Fantasia. The ordinary talkie combines sound and pictures on the same strip of film, and sound comes from a clump of loudspeakers behind the screen. In Fantasia, sound and pictures are projected separately, and the sound comes from 64 loudspeakers, 36 of them in the back of the screen, 22 at the rear of the orchestra floor, and 6 in the balcony. The music in Fantasia was recorded more than two years ago, obviously it was in 1940, so many more than two years ago now. Uh, The music in Fantasia was recorded more than two years ago by the Philadelphia Orchestra, led by Stokowski. No more than 12 theaters in the country will show the film simultaneously because there are only 12 of these sound units in existence. They cost $30,000 each to manufacture and $8,000 to install. So that uh, was how they showed Fantasia originally in theaters with these insane brand new uh, stereophonic or fantasound systems. Uh, something else that I found from this article in the Smithsonian was, uh, the article says that with Fantasia, Disney hoped to achieve something something else. We've got more in this medium than making people laugh, he told his staff. The new film, he said, would change the history of motion pictures. And he and Stokowski absolutely did. And when the movie came out, it was originally met with just critical success. Critics loved it. They thought it was something new and different and cool and interesting. But wider audiences just didn't find it accessible. It left a a lot of audiences, quote, baffled and bored. And the fact that it was expensive, coupled with that, the fact that regular people didn't really (laughs) care about seeing it, meant that it lost the company the equivalent of 15 million uh, modern dollars, which at the time almost drove them into bankruptcy, um, but now would probably be like, Less than the Avengers marketing budget. I don't know. <laughs> Job market. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> so anyway, $15 million at the time, not great. 
Uh, it actually also was not great, according to the Smithsonian article, for Walt Disney's public perception because people thought it made him look hyper pretentious. Mm-hmm. So people who had gotten to know him as this folksy artist guy, man of the people, um, were suddenly like, shoot, I can't go enjoy this Disney movie because it's like going to the theater, like the ballet in a movie theater. And that's not what I'm trying to do when I'm trying to go to the movie theater. I'm trying to laugh and I'm trying to see some super accessible cartoons. So, and so this Smithsonian article actually goes on to um, offer a quote about Disney that says that he even started to regret Fantasia after a while. And he told a journalist that, quote, every time I made a mistake is when I went in a direction where I didn't feel the thing, actually. And I did try to be a little smarty pants. (laughs) Quote Walt Disney. So, um, of course, we know that Fantasia and Sorcerer Mickey are now wildly beloved. And uh, the movie's upswing, I think, or some sort of renaissance, they say, came about in the 60s when its bright, quote, its bright colors and vivid abstractions appealed to a new generation, turned on to psychedelia. Um, And now, you know, so many people have said that it inspires them. Spielberg has said that it inspired E.T., um, the cinematographer of of Doctor Strange has said that he felt he wanted Doctor Strange to be Marvel's Fantasia and for it to be sort of weird and different and inspiring. So now, obviously, we know that Fantasia is so important and such a huge influence. And, and um, we love Mickey in his little sorcerer robes because he's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, at the time... Because of this huge risk and this sort of brand new thing that Disney tried to invest in to bring this more immersive theater experience to people, um, it almost ruined Disney. So I thought that that was a really interesting interesting. story. Yeah. I think this fact both makes me want to go rewatch Fantasia because I realized I haven't seen it since I was a kid. Yeah. And it makes me want to go read New Yorker articles from all the Disney releases. I know. See what they said back in the day. That's true. I didn't even think of that. I think I'm going to fall into this wormhole later. Yes, absolutely. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I have a lot of reading to do. Stay tuned. We're going to look up more New Yorker articles about things that happened uh, in the past and people talking about Disney releases. Um, we'll let you know how it goes. So I love yeah. that all of your facts are very rooted in early history of Disney because I think a lot of mine and the one I'm about to share with you are from more modern Disney times. Okay. So are you ready? Uh, I am ready, but again, just to follow up on this, I also feel like I really need to go back and watch Fantasia. I think it might be streaming somewhere. We'll let you Ooh, guys know. Yeah, I need to find that. But I also like felt kind of like a jerk. When I read this, because I definitely didn't like it as a little kid. No, it scared me. (laughs) I was truly terrified. It definitely scared me, and it I definitely would just sort of skip to to the parts that I liked, and like the hell scenes and the dinosaur scenes and all of those things. There's a lot of scary stuff. Scary, yeah. Um, So we're gonna rewatch now as grownups. With our more sophisticated minds. And we'll let you know what we think about Fantasia now. Although we know we love Sorcerer Mickey. And we know we just, you know, obviously love that Disney brought stereo sound to the masses. And and uh, was really committed to making those breakthroughs in theater. Uh, excuse me. Or in, in cinema that he's, Disney is known for. Whether it's, you know, having the first full-length animated feature, the first characters to talk on screen, you know, the first stereophonic sound, or the first really awesome digital 
you know, uh, tunes <laughs> with, with Pixar, you know, we hope that's something that Disney continues to do. So, anyway. So many firsts. Anyway, I'm going to let first. you... I'm going to let you go now. All right. <laughs> ready for a more modern Disney fact. Okay. I'm ready. Um, so we're bumping all the way to the 1990s. Okay. And I'm with you. So Disney in the 1990s famously lobbied for an extension of copyright laws to protect the image of Mickey Mouse. Uh, do you Are you aware of this? Do you know about this? No. So Disney is actually the reason that Congress created the 1998 Copyright Term Extension Act. So Disney uh, was scared that Mickey Mouse was going to become public domain. People were going to mess with the image of Mickey and he wouldn't be protected yeah. under their beautiful brand. And so he's actually Mickey. Well, because public domain is like after 70 years of someone it was, dying. Yeah. Or so like a, well, I don't know. I don't know exactly yeah, I, what the terms are. But yeah. And I like he, didn't write down. about to be he in was public about domain? Okay. to be in public domain. Okay. And so they lobbied and actually Sonny Bono. Help pass this act back in really? the day. Really? Yeah. Um, the act was uh, kind of his baby, and then he died, I think, like six or nine months before it actually got passed. Aww. But now Mickey is protected Disney property until 2024. So that's actually coming up in a few years. Yeah, but come on. Uh, so <laughs> they'll find a way to protect him forever. Um, so I actually I looked into this a little more, and I know Disney actually, both because of this copyright act that kind of got – a lot of people upset about it because, you know, copyright does make things available for other people to kind of remix stuff or take a different direction on something. So people were kind of upset um, with Disney uh, for extending copyright. And then Disney took a few other steps that kind of didn't earn them a lot of great publicity regarding copyright. So uh, in 1989, they actually threatened to sue three different daycare centers because they all had Disney oh. character murals. No, stop. Yeah. So in the context of all that, I thought it was really interesting that today you'll see a lot of Instagram shops and Etsy shops and people who are making unlo- unlicensed Disney merch and selling it. And in recent years, Disney, instead of sending cease and desist or threatening to sue them, Disney has partnered with them. So there was an article um, in Racked in 2017, and it was all about these Instagram entrepreneurs who are building businesses off of Disney characters and IP and things like Dole Whip and iconic Disney, you know, icons that live in the parks. And um, there was one brand that launched on Instagram called Cakeworthy, Mm, and instead of shutting them down, Disney partnered with them. So Cakeworthy launched a line of Disney licensed merch that in previous years might have been quickly shut down or, you know, they might have threatened legal action. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's my fact that Disney both pioneered copyright extensions and has been super, super protective of their brand, which, of course, it makes sense. But now they're, it seems getting a little bit looser on that, I think, yeah. because they've seen how much people love that merch and how profitable yeah. it is for those independent sellers. And it's influenced a lot of the merch right. that they have in the parks. Right. Yeah. So the Rose Gold Ears, yeah. which I waited in line for. <laughs> <laughs> I was hounding the stores waiting for them to be back in stock. Yeah. Um, but those were actually influenced by an Instagram designer who started making their own Rose Gold Ears. Yeah. And I think it's making the in-park merch cooler. And I think the merch that you can get from independent sellers is cooler Mm -hmm. and it benefits everyone for sure no that that's true it's like disney has this sort of free 
research pool yeah. <laughs> at their disposal where they can just sort of, they you know, they have people out there testing different types of merch or creating different types of merch for them and seeing how people react to them. And we are definitely seeing them, you know, incorporate things that are working that they've seen from different Etsy sellers or from different Instagram, you know, from things that people are doing themselves in, into the parks and into things that they can then monetize. So it's it really has done nothing but benefit them lately. Exactly. I, I mean, I think it's red what a, how we're getting such a wider range of ears lately. Where mm-hmm. even just a couple of years ago, it was just like just the Minnie Mouse ears. Yeah. I love that there are even just Mickey ears now. I thought I always thought that was the weirdest thing ever. You <laughs> couldn't get Minnie Mouse ears without the bow, and I always always wanted that. And and and. I've only been able to find them personally just this past year. Then that's really cool. I think, you know, Disney now probably has this whole new revenue stream in, you know, or at least this whole new area of merchandise now in in the dress shop and Disney clothing that's different from just 2015 Disneyland t-shirts or things yeah. like that because of things like Dapper Day. Mm-hmm. Mostly probably Dapper Day. Yeah. <laughs> or people bounding so now Disney is actually, you know, making their own really pretty <laughs> and uh, wildly expensive, but, but you know, great dresses and things like that, that sort of play into that whole trend that was started within the community. So, I mean, it's pretty cool that they're listening to the community and that they're allowing those things to sort of incubate within the community now so that they can have that constant fe- feedback loop. There's well, also, like, the cynical part of me that wants to be, like, ah, oh, they're sort of taking it from the community yeah. and, and then monetizing it, but... I mean, there's been some <laughs> backlash on that, especially yeah. around the rose gold ears, but at the end of the day, they could very easily just shut down all these shops. Yeah. You know, send a cease and desist. It's their intellectual property. Um, yeah. So it's pretty cool that they're both letting them thrive and, in some cases, collaborating. Yeah. Which is pretty, pretty I didn't awesome. realize that... That, I mean, I guess I knew that Cakeworthy was originally was was um, licensed material. Now, mm-hmm. especially seeing their new their newest line, I know they have my favorite thing that I saw on Cakeworthy recently was they have um, like a chambray shirt with the genie on the back. Nice, and I love that because you don't always see like they sometimes they have characters that you just don't always see in the park. Like I haven't seen a genie shirt in a park in I don't know how long, but so. Um, and obviously now, nowadays, you can sort of go to any different Etsy shop or even shop Disney is, is you know, putting out clothes with, with a wider range of characters than they maybe were before. But I don't know. I, I love that they're doing that and you're finding things that aren't just classic Mickey tees and things like that. You're finding yeah, it's not just like genie. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's not yeah. just like a character tee or it's not... You know, the old school merch that we used to have. I had a, what, it was like a goofy hat with a really big brim and like teeth on the hat. Yeah. Like, not great stuff. Like, straight in the park. And it looks great when you're in Disneyland. But this stuff that's now being made is stuff we even actually wear day to day. We have, we have the Donald one somewhere around here. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, okay, that's great. That's so interesting to know. I feel like it's still sort of murky to, to, try to, you know, understand the true copyright rules that Disney is enforcing, which you and I have obviously been looking into a little (laughs) bit as we now want to start talking about Disney um, all the time, more publicly. But 
yeah, it, I think it is. It's it's really interesting just to see this shift and and what Etsy and Instagram have brought about in in terms of changes in the parks and in just Disney consumer products overall. So that's really it's really interesting. I'm really interested to hear more about what we think is going to happen in 2024. Yeah, when Mickey because that's just. He's clearly not going to become public domain. Right, yeah. How are it's they going to yeah. that until the end of time? Um. So if anybody knows anything more about that and what we can expect in 2024, write to us let and us let know. us know what you think. And if you guys have any interesting or exciting or surprising facts about Disney that you want us to look into or talk about, shoot us a note. You can find us at TILDisney.com or on Instagram at TILDisney. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.